dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see headlights on both ends of my day this country Welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer M. Latsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. Well, we've survived Thanksgiving, and it is now officially time, Kayleen. <laughs> it is time for Christmas. <laughs> Did you, uh, weather changed our plans, so we didn't get to travel because of two blizzards. Yay. I think that was God's, um... God's way of saying, no, you need to stay home. That <laughs> you week. don't need to go anywhere. You don't need to go anywhere. But uh, you were getting a bird drunk and then going <laughs> to fry that thing, right? Yes, the, the brine that we make is a bourbon orange brine that you let the bird soak in for 24 hours or longer. See, now I would actually get a live bird and have them, you know, chill them out with a little bit of alcohol, you know, <laughs> process them. <laughs> Then brine them as well. I mean, you know, that's the nice thing to do. I think that's the polite thing to do. You get it drunk after it's dead. That's not cool. <laughs> it never knew what hit it. <laughs> oh, heavens to Betsy. Well, um, I tell you what, uh, yesterday, I don't know what day it is, Kayleen. This week has just been a roller coaster of blur because um, yesterday we put on our first ever Cotton U down in Amarillo with the Amarillo Farm and Ranch Show. And you know what? I was absolutely pleasantly surprised <laughs> at how many people we had show up for, for this first ever meeting that we've done um, covering cotton. You know, you put together stuff, you put together a program, and you just pray real hard that people buy into that program with you. And they did. We had about 100 folks come out, Kayleen, um, to learn about cotton production, the, the updates that we had from the, the guys on the ground. And it's just kind of gratifying. They were asking questions. They were, it was, wow. Yeah. It's pretty neat. It's always nice when you plan something if people show up. <laughs> you know, that is the number one fear of a, of a meeting planner. Yes. Yeah. I, I was telling somebody the other day, or yesterday, we were talking about, we were doing a, a recap of everything. I said, well, number, my number one fear is that nobody shows up. Well, scratch that. My number one fear is actually snakes. But number two <laughs> is <laughs> you put together a meeting and nobody shows up for the meeting. <laughs> But honestly, um, I guess I shouldn't have been surprised because we had a jam-packed um, ha- half day of really good speakers. And later on in this episode, field editor Lacey Newland, um, she brought, she'll have an interview with National Cotton Council's Craig Brown about the brand new U.S. Trust Cotton Protocol that he introduced for the first time at our Cotton U. That's going to be something, um, you know, learning the details on that one, Kayleen. It's a way to uh, to monetize, to put, you know, to put uh, actual facts and figures behind the the actual um, on farm practices that are sustainable for our cotton growers across the United States, and a way to tell that story to our customers abroad. And um, it's it's 
kind of it, it, it's invigorating that they are trying something new so yeah i'll have to listen to Lacey's interview and learn about it because i go. don't know anything about it <laughs> <laughs> well you had an educational experience too because you were at the kansas livestock association's meeting this week right they had a big anniversary yeah they are celebrating 125 years of the association it's what their 107th meeting i think okay so there was I think about a thousand people there, they said, meeting the rooms were full and there was lots of people and lots of talking. 125 years of livestock producers gathering together and, and, you know, hashing things out. That's pretty something. That That takes us back to the days of the actual cattle trails, doesn't it? 1919. 1919. So that that would be 100 years. That that would be 100 years. um, They had past presidents and past committee chairs at, at different uh, meetings and different events during the day yesterday and they would have their 10 minutes and they would talk about the stuff they did while they were on the board or on the committee or whatever and it was pretty neat to hear the the voices of the the older generation that was yeah. on there you know what fascinates me about Kansas agriculture that people just take for granted so many things got their start in Kansas yeah (laughs) they really did the things that we take for granted whether it's the cattle trails that eventually turned into the modern um routes that cattle take from pasture to to plate um or it's the organizations that got their start in kansas and then grew grew exponentially Mm -hmm. across the united states because people saw that hey that works and you can band together and you can get your message heard bigger and, and louder so yeah, I'm I'm pretty tickled that uh, you got to go to that. That's wonderful. And you're gonna later on in this episode, you're gonna have a conversation with uh, outgoing President Barb Downey, right? Yes, we. I caught up with her in the media room, and she had some n- nice thoughts about her her year as president and what she hopes that the group will do in the future. You know, isn't it something? Uh, just a, a side thought here is uh, what other organization? What other industry can women have such a profound impact on so many levels you know when I was a kid growing up yeah there were a lot of men on those boards but boy howdy there were just as many women that were that were pulling their weight and and um, working for the organizations didn't matter if it was Farm Bureau or KLA or or whoever I just it's pretty something you know well, there's farm farm women and ranch women. They all mm-hmm. just get in there and do the job. And if the job needs done, they find a way. So it, it's just the way the nature of the industry, I think. I think that's something that you and I and our generation and the ones that follow us, we, we kind of take for granted a little bit. Because now my grandma, there's no way she would have participated <laughs> at in a leadership thing. You know, that was, oh, no, no, that's for the men. You know, she worked on the farm and she worked... Um, on the ranch, but you know, being a leader, that was something that they kind of started growing into, and and then all of a sudden, why wouldn't you have a leadership position? Who cares mm-hmm. if you're a male or a female? If as long as you have good ideas and you have good leadership qualities, you go for it. So, yeah. I just have always been kind of proud that agriculture just looks at you and goes, well, what what can you bring to the table? Not, you know. What do you look like on the outside? <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> so did you at least start your Christmas shopping yet? I did. I On Black Friday, I waited until after we got back from our Thanksgiving celebration <laughs> in, in Pfeiffer and left the boys at home with their dad and went back to town <laughs> oh, <laughs> and yeah. got the end of 
the Walmart sale and one went to Tractor Supply and a couple other places. So when I was young, we never did Black Friday sales. We never, we didn't hang out at the store. There was none of that. <laughs> um, we just, it, it was just never one of those things. We always spent time with the family on Thanksgiving. That was family, family, family. And I'm dating a family that, you know, their family togetherness is going to a Black Friday sale. <laughs> with all the other crazy people. <laughs> I, in the past four years, I've done four Black Fridays. And I just have like, I don't know about this, but okay, let's go see, you know, why why not, you know. And um, anymore, it's not as hectic and crazy. No. However, I will say this. When you're there and they do the, the honk, the horn, and they you know, let you go at like six o'clock or so mm-hmm. that night. It is a feeding frenzy. Yes, it is. Ugh. I don't, I don't think I need to be in the frenzy. I think I'd be afterwards, but anywho, I uh, got my tree up and my lights going and that's what I did because of the blizzards <laughs> that didn't even hit, you know, south- Southwest Kansas. They just hit the part that we needed to drive through <laughs> to go see family. We still don't have a Christmas tree because we always get a real one. <laughs> Just haven't got it yet. Man, this weekend, I think, is a, a good weekend to do that because of the weather, okay? Uh, yeah. <laughs> might, might want to just go ahead and bite that bullet and get I that I went one and done. scouted today to see what <laughs> was left in town as far as real trees go. And if we don't get our poop in a group, we may be having to drive to Mullenville or somewhere and cut one down. Okay, so my family, we always had to do pine trees because my mom has allergies to cedar, cedar trees. Oh, I hate cedar trees. There are two frames of reference here. There is either people that are like, oh, I could I could have a pasture cedar tree. No biggie. You know, it's free. Okay. And then <laughs> and you have, you're getting it out of the pasture. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're cutting it out of the pasture. So two birds, one tree, we're all good. Um, just remember to bring the, the saw, Clark, okay? Um, then there's the others that are like, oh, no. No, it has to be a pine. It has to be a fir. It has to be something with pretty needles. Mm-hmm. And it looks like a Christmas tree. And we're going to go buy one off a lot. Yeah, I could take or take or leave either one, but um, I kind of like the the frilliness of a cedar tree. I think maybe no, no. <laughs> I like the firs myself. the The branches are a little flimsy on them, and you have to watch what you put on them. But yeah. they seem to do all right at our house. You know, Christmas tree farms are a dying place. Yeah, they and it's sad because um, they provide such a wonderful service, and it's such a long term plan that they have mm-hmm. i mean they'll plant a tree and they'll harvest it five six seven years later yeah those folks do a really good service though because those trees are helping us reduce um soil erosion you know reduce wind erosion they're uh they're putting more oxygen back into the air you know yeah it's good to have and Christmas it's kind of a neat experience to go out there and with the kids and pick the one you like and find the best one that suits what you're going to do with it and it's kind of neat you know, <laughs> one year, we um, Joni was home from college, and we needed to go and pick out the tree with mom, and it was icy, bad icy, and uh, and you just had to go now. <laughs> yeah, well, it, Joni was home from college, so we needed to get the tree right then and there, and so mom and Joni and I, because dad and James had something else to do. I don't, I don't know why they weren't in on this, but it was just us three women. We go to our neighbors that had the tree farm, and of course, there is ice covering everything out there, including, you know, ground included. And uh, 
old mom Latsky, <laughs> she, you know, left leg went one way and the right leg went the other way and we all laughed. <laughs> <laughs> Did she laugh? <laughs> no, no, that made for a really bad truck ride home. I would guess. P.S. Kids, don't laugh at your mom when she <laughs> slips and falls on the ice. Your first response should be, please tell me you didn't break a hip. <laughs> we tease, we tease. We love her very much. So what, what kind of other holiday traditions do you like to do as a family? Well, we already baked the cookies because Sean had to take some for 4-H. They had a cookie exchange at Ooh. their meeting okay. on Monday. And that okay. was kind of a process. What what are your what is your specialty cookie? The one that your family asked for. They wanted to do the cutout ones and decorate them, and mm-hmm. that got scaled back a little bit because I wasn't going to the grocery store again for the nineteenth <laughs> time, and <laughs> so we had to make do with what was in the pantry. <laughs> so you make them from scratch, huh? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, and I had didn't have any shortening. I had regular butter, and they just stayed too soft, and they didn't cut out very good. So. Oh my goodness. Regular butter sugar cookies. <laughs> the tragedy, Kayleen. I know. There will be songs of woe sung. Well, and then I had stuff to make chocolate chip cookies and I use real butter in those always. And uh-huh. I never make cookies. And my boys acted like it was the best day of their lives because they got cookies. And then they had cookies afterwards because I miscounted when they said bring two dozen I had it in my head that they needed two dozen of each kind which wasn't the case so so you brought cookies for everybody no I I reread the stuff before we left so (laughs) and we made Chance take a plate because I know he would have been mad because Mm -hmm. he didn't get any so we brought two extra plates full of cookies there you go well um funny thing is is I I rarely have time to actually bake cookies during this holiday because I'm always go 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 but I promised the Cotton U speakers and the farmer panelists, if you do this for me, I got cookies in it for you. So um, as I explained to them, they were made at home, but they weren't homemade. <laughs> <laughs> but they did use cottonseed oil. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah, I made them uh, chocolate chip cookies, or Pillsbury did. Thank you, Pillsbury. Bravo. <laughs> um, you know, my holiday tradition in our family is loading up in the car and looking at the Christmas lights all over town. Yeah, we do that on Christmas Eve after church. We'll go drive around. Yep. that's uh, It usually was when we have Christmas with our, our grandparents in Junction City, and that's when we would be in town and we'd go look at lights. Mm-hmm. When I Now that I live in, in Dodge, Garrett and I will load up the kids. Um, if they're here with us for Christmas Eve service, uh, we'll, we'll go look at lights in Dodge if they're with their mom um, then it's just Garrett and I looking at the Christmas lights after the service but yeah I it's beautiful there were a couple years there where my my group of girlfriends and I we would load up the car (laughs) and I had a sunroof and we'd open up the sunroof and we would have a car full of women with hot cocoa and hot cider and we would just go around town listening to Christmas music looking at lights and judging them Nice. <laughs> you know what? You find your girl time where you can. <laughs> there used to be a neighborhood up, up uh, kind of by where where Walmart's at now that the whole neighborhood was always decked out and there was like bumper to bumper traffic that would drive through there on Christmas Eve. And I noticed when we went by there the other night that there was one house in the neighborhood that was all decked out. <laughs> I think as people get older, it's tougher for them to put yeah. the lights up and their kids aren't home. Those kind of go by the wayside, but boy, it does look amazing when a yeah. neighborhood gets together and they're like, you know what, we're gonna, 
Let's do some lights. Let's have a display. There's a house over there on the... He's actually not even in town. There's kind of a little neighborhood outside Mm -hmm. of town. And we were coming back, I don't know, for something back to town. It was dark. And he'd already had his lights up. This was before Thanksgiving. Well, when you had nice weather. (laughs) And his whole house, house, the whole probably two-acre lot that he's got was covered in lights. He's got a little landing strip for Santa. It's even got an arrow that points <laughs> the right way down the, the the runway. The boys thought it was pretty awesome. You know, in the larger cities, they are actual. There are actually companies of of that will put up lights and take down the lights. They yeah. will. They'll lease you the lights and and they do the the installation and the takedown for you and you pay them a set fee for a month. You know, I. I can't imagine having one of those gigantic houses that you do that type of a display. I mean, I've just got a little dinky little house, but yeah. at least I have some icicle lights and some um, some other stuff. So, I don't know. What's your opinion? Blow up lawn stuff, yay or nay? If you live in town and it's not going to blow away in the Kansas wind? <laughs> oh, it'll blow away in the Kansas wind. Power to you. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, a family in Great Bend that their entire yard is always covered in blow-ups. They they get a new one every year, and they just start, I mean... <laughs> Adding it, to the they, collection. <laughs> yeah, and there's no rhyme or reason. They're just all on top of each other. And Kayleen, they had the, the Griswolds family truckster with oh the tree boy. on top and Cousin Eddie's RV. It looks as cool as you can imagine. Can you imagine the dollars they have invested in that stuff? I know, I know. And then you have people that go by and rip things off and, yeah. and vandalize. There was a display in Wichita. They People went and cut the, the cords yes. and did some not so very nice stuff. But I also heard that they there was a donor that came in and mm-hmm. helped them out to fix it, which is always good to hear. Yeah. It's good when there are people who are no longer Grinches and their hearts grow <laughs> ten times. And that's probably another thing that we do. We watch Christmas movies all the time. I have Christmas vacation on all the time of course it is your and i's favorite absolute movie so well hey if you've got a comment or a thought or you want to share your christmas tradition why don't you drop us a line at hpjtalk at hpj.com and let us know or you can call us at 1-800-452-7171 and do us a favor and head over to itunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review I mean, if you want to give us a present, that would be great. Yeah, that'd be handy, too. (laughs) Well, this week's episode, we're going to bring you the stories you might have missed in the December 2nd print edition. Then we'll have interviews with Craig Brown of the National Cotton Council and outgoing KLA president Barb Downey. And as always, we have Kayleen with the markets. If the weather outside is frightful, why don't you stay inside for a little bit and ride with us here on HPJ Talk. Our cover story this week was Jenny's feature, Farming in Space, a deeper dive into the work that NASA and astronauts like Nick Haig are conducting on the International Space Station into growing food for future space travel. 
You can find a link to the podcast and our conversation with him at www.hpj.com slash podcasts or wherever you go to download your podcasts. Lacey Newland has a story out of Oklahoma where ag economics specialists are conducting meetings to help farmers navigate the changes for the new farm bill. On our editorial page, editor Dave Bergmauer writes to encourage readers to take time and attend meetings like our upcoming slate of U events to further improve their bottom lines. We have the latest from Seymour Clearly and Washington Whispers, and Dave also has a book review of Your Food, My Adventure, One Farmer's Journey to Feed the World by Philip E. Bradshaw. Jenny also has a story from a recent Farm Foundation Forum webinar on food waste and the multi-pronged approach it will take to address the situation. Kayleen, you had a story about how the fall weather really hit harvest hard, and David Murray writes about Mississippi River dredging funds that are finally being released. And this was our first issue introducing our regional roundup pages with news items from across our 12-state footprint, and we hope you enjoy. If you have a response to something you've read or heard, or there's a local topic that you want to bring to the attention of our readers and listeners, please write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com or call us at the office 1-800-452-7171. We want to hear from you. Plains Journal and the Amarillo Farm and Ranch Show put on the first ever Cotton U December 5th in Amarillo. Our keynote speaker, Craig Brown of the National Cotton Council, introduced to growers the details about the new U.S. Trust Cotton Protocol, a project that will help all U.S. cotton farmers better tell their story about the sustainability practices that they're already conducting on their farms in a way that consumers can finally understand and eventually with the end goal of increasing demand for U.S. source cotton among our global customers. Uh, this is Craig Brown. I'm Vice President of Producer Affairs with the National Cotton Council, headquartered in Memphis, Tennessee. Tell me about the Trust Cotton Protocol and uh, what's going on with that. Uh, the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol is a new initiative of the National Cotton Council and the U.S. cotton industry uh, to better enhance our our image uh, with our brands and retailers in the area of sustainability. Uh, it's a continued effort. It's not something we've just started, but it's an enhancement of some of the things we've been doing already. It builds on some other programs. And it basically tries to validate uh, the good uh, environmental practices that growers are doing and production practices that, that promote efficiency uh, to, to validate that, uh, to give some validity to our claims, and to give some comfort to our brands and retailers so that when they uh, uh, list uh, fibers, cottons that are on their sustainability list, we want to make sure that U.S. cotton uh, is the preferred fiber and is certainly included on their, on their list of, of cottons available. Why this now? What has encouraged you guys to well, pursue uh, this Well, the, the, the thing that, that's, that's, that's evident right now is uh, the, the, the term sustainability and the, the ability to uh, uh, promote sustainability is not just common to the to the uh, fashion industry. It's 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 a common denominator for all industries. Everybody's looking uh, to promote more sustainable uh, practices, and this is certainly true in the in our brands and retailers that 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 uh, 
uh, deal with, with uh, home goods and, and fashion. So uh, this has been building. It's something that is, uh, that is on the minds of brands and retailers. Most of them have sustainability uh, officers and, and, and um, really, really try to, to promote that with their, with their customer base. How can this trans, transfer financially to farmers? Well, there's, there's a number of advantages for farmers to, for participating in this program. One, it gives them a chance to evaluate their operations on a confidential basis with their data being confidential, uh, to look at how they, how they stand up against other producers, against uh, uh, state averages, against national averages. And, and we found that, and I think they believe that uh, things that help in, enhance their environmental and lower their environmental footprint are also economical advantages that they can gain. So they can look at their operation, evaluate it over time, and, and really see how they can improve their own operation. That's one, that's one uh, value. The, the overall value is, is what I talked about before, that, that to, to make sure that, that uh, brands and retailers uh, consider U.S. cotton as a preferred fiber. Obviously, we like, like it to be a preferred fiber in the world, amongst other cotton producers, and particularly against man-made fibers. And that, uh, that they recognize that, that we can validate that and give them comfort that U.S. cotton is on their sustainability list. Okay. As far as world markets for U.S. cotton, how does this answer for China? Well, it, 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 it doesn't necessarily just apply to China. It, 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 it enhances our ability to, to make sure that, well, it, it ensure, hopes ensure our ability we're not excluded from any markets because uh, brands and retailers have, have, have lists of, of fibers that they consider to be sustainable. We want to make sure we're on that list. Now, the China situation is more than just sustainability. It's access, and it's, it's a huge trade issue right now that's facing uh, not only cotton but production agriculture, but particularly cotton because they were our number one customer. And, and unfortunately, because of the tariff war, the trade wars, uh, we're not selling much cotton into China, not nearly as much as we could be. And so uh, sustainability message and getting the trade issues settled are, are huge priorities for the National Cotton Council and the U.S. cotton industry gets us back into that market, hopefully will enhance profitability and prices for growers and start moving what we expect to be a large cotton crop. Is there anything else you want to add? Well, I think it's, uh, I, I, I'm glad that, that we're having forums like, like we're having today with, with Cotton U and uh, sponsored by the Journal. I think that's always good to provide more education to growers, uh, particularly in areas, in, in newer production areas like we have in, in, the, uh, in the Panhandle and in Oklahoma and Kansas area. So uh, we're excited to be here. Uh, we're excited to talk about our new sustainability program and, and hope that we can encourage producers to participate as we kick it off uh, next year on a full-time basis. To learn more about Cotton U, watch for continuing coverage in upcoming print editions of High Plains Journal and make plans now to attend the Cotton U 2020 at the Amarillo Farm and Ranch Show December 3rd. This week I attended the Kansas Livestock Association annual meeting in Wichita celebrating the milestone anniversary and more than a century of working on behalf of the livestock industry of Kansas. I've interviewed outgoing president Barb Downing. This is Kayleen Scott with uh, Barb Downing today here in Wichita at the Kansas Livestock Association annual meeting. And Barb is the outgoing president, is that right? I'm president for one more day at this point, in which case I will operate as past president for a year, and then it will be back to civilian life. Back to civilian life. <laughs> what will that be like for you? 
Uh, relatively unchanged. Uh, serving in an, an industry like this in an organization as big as KLA, it obviously does take some time. Mm -hmm. uh, but we are supported by our fellow officer team, um, our committee chairs, and all of that, so that the load isn't too big on any one person. And then you add the professional staff doing their job so well every day. And it really isn't an onerous responsibility. So what kind of things have you been doing this year? What really sticks out to in your mind? The things that really stick out and the things that I think are so important are that contact with individual producers, making sure that everyone knows this is our organization. This mm -hmm. is not the KLA. This is our KLA. And that it does indeed take all of us doing doing what we do, bringing our individual knowledge and experience to the table. You know, when you're developing policy, when you're asking lobbyists to, to make your case on your behalf at, at the State House, they need to have a really well-formed policy mm -hmm. in place with everybody's experiences forming that policy. So we've got to have all of us at the table. And you also go on the national level and essentially do do work for Kansas, is that correct? You need to have face-to-face -face time with your legislators. You, they need to see you in their office and have that one-on-one -on -one conversation about how important an issue is to you, uh, whether or not, you know, it's international trade. We sat there with one of our Kansas legislators who had never heard the figure of $325 per head per beef mm -hmm. because of exports. Yeah. And that really brings it home how important these trade agreements are. Well, tell me a little bit about home. Where, where are you from and what do you do? My family and I operate a cow-calf operation, primarily in Wabunsee County, but also in Riley County. It's, it's a, while it's a corporate operation, it's truly a family operation. Mm -hmm. My husband and I are the day-to-day. -day. We have two daughters in school. Um, Anna is our oldest. She's at Texas Tech, wants to go to nursing school. Our youngest is at Kansas State and is an animal science student. So we hope at some point in time we have a beautiful, healthy ranch that they will want to come home and be a part of. Speaking of healthy ranches, what is the state of the beef industry in Kansas? We've had our road bumps, but I think all in all we're in a very good place. Uh, the, the drought was front and center for cow-calf producers like me for the last four to five years. There hasn't been a time where we haven't thought about, will we have adequate feed? Um, what does our range look like? Are we going to come out the other side and it'll be good? Uh, so we have alleviated that for, for our situation and that's been a huge relief. Um, markets are a little depressed. I think the fundamentals of those are our trade and mm -hmm. some of the effects that we're seeing there, not letting our grains and our, and our uh, meat products move freely um, as they should. But I think we're positioned well. Um, I think we are domestically um, and internationally, demand for beef is very good, and we're in a good place to deliver it going forward. Well, let's end that on a good note, and I appreciate you talking with me today, Barb. Thank you, Kaylee. You have Kaylin. a good rest of the meeting. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Look for the story in the December 16th issue of High Plains Journal or online anytime at www.hpj.com. <laughs>Your grain market prices from Dodge City's Pride Ag Resources on November 26th. Corn was down at $3.58. Wheat was up at $3.88. Milo was down at $3.03. And soybeans were down at $7.59. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters at our website, hpj.com signup. Simply select the topics that interest you 
and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email. Be sure to watch for the Young Farmer and Rancher issue of High Plains Journal in your mailboxes December 16th with a story from Kayleen. And look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com podcasts. You can also find us on places like iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. We're also on Instagram. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again for riding along with us, folks, as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. This has been a production of High Plains Journal, all rights reserved. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. The headlights on both ends of my day.